good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the 200th episode of the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Irvine, California. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I am the uh, co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I am the exhibitions coordinator for Marking Time, Art in the Age of Incarceration, which will be opening in at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, April 22nd, 2022. Nice. And I'm Seth Rodney. I am the opinions editor and uh, senior critic for the Hypoallergic Online Arts Magazine. And I'm speaking to you from Sunny Newburgh, New York. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And today we're talking about us um, and the <laughs> podcast. So pl- please don't hit the, the, the pause button <laughs> and move on to, to a more interesting podcast. Um, you know, so we've had uh, 200 episodes Uh Wow. I don't think we've missed a week. Um, mm. We uh, early, early on, you know, we were doing the two-two format, so um, it would be me with Seth and then me with Steven and then me with Seth back and forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, those weren't misses. I think there was one random week early in the first year where mm. I did my own. Uh, I recorded my own episode because something was. Uh, Steven, you were out and you were sick or something. And then uh, (laughs) Seth had already been traveling or whatever. And, uh, but I don't think we've missed a week. So, um, which is kind of cool. Um, I don't have a lot of things that I've done for 200 weeks straight, (laughs) No, other than, you know, kiss my wife and hug my kids or something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) eat eat lunch. I don't know. I mean, um, Mm -hmm. so we thought we'd talk about it, and I think Seth, you had a couple of just sort of things to sort of shape the conversation you had you had texted last night. Well, I texted a question. Uh, basically, I had asked what episodes we remember that stayed with us, mm-hmm. right, right, and uh, uh, what what well, yeah, which ones were the most meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, in speaking to Stephen um, before we started recording, Stephen mentioned that there were a couple of things that he had grokked having listened to a few old episodes. Mm-hmm. And he, and Stephen, you said that you had some ideas. So maybe I can just pass the baton to you. So I'll um, keep it short. I think, so revisiting these episodes, like, so f- for the most part, I don't re-listen to any of the American podcasts. Mm. So let me just say that out loud, and I'll tell you why. Um, at one point, I didn't care f- to hear my own voice. That was number one. Mm. Number two, I didn't want to have to rethink about something that I already said. <laughs> I didn't want to have to mm. go over that in my head, right? And go, oh, mm. I wish I would have said this. I didn't want the bother. Mm. So when I started to re-listen to them this morning, um, obviously like three minutes before we got on the podcast, um, <laughs> What I did notice, <laughs> a bit hyperbolic, but what I do like about these 200 episodes of which, like thinking about how we, I told, I told uh, Seth this morning that I feel like we got our legs in the second part of the second part of the second season and that there's mm. a lot more flow. And mm. some of that's just very intentional about, well, let's see, you know, I want to, what does such and such have to say about this? And da da da, you guys are very generous in that way. I 
feel very fortunate to have a forum to think about things, to want to do these podcasts, to, you know, to record the episodes and to do, do, do research, really think about what I think about. In some cases, I have more time than others. Other times I've led a discussion, but I just really feel grateful for that. That was, I just love the fact that we've talked about politics, culture, personal stuff, you know, um, Toni Morrison, when she passed, mm-hmm. these kinds of things. I feel like it's funny because I, I, I just, I can't get over how grateful I feel. Like I feel mm. pleased. Mm. It's different from another podcast that I've done where I've either been a guest or that I co-lead with uh, Miranda on the In the Telling, a Black Family podcast. Mm-hmm. It's very structured. We have questions for our guests. This feels a lot more in my dharma about what I like to do. So that's mm. what I'm to say. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the sense of gratitude is certainly there for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think I'm kind of with you though. See, I don't really. It's not that I've never re-listened to an episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly have. Um, and I've I've actually thought about doing it more, mm-hmm. and then have decided to not. You know, I've actually thought about it a little bit, and okay, you know, I like the thing that I um, that I value about the podcast is a little different than the intellectual framework that I that I use to think about the podcast with. So the things that I okay. enjoy about the podcast are, you know, actually just being able to be honest about how I think and feel mm-hmm. about things. Not that I, not that I dissimulate regularly, but it's, it's just different to have a time set aside to talk frankly about things. I agree. Um, and then of course um, you and Seth um, as conversation partners is obviously the most valuable part for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think about the, the artifice itself of the podcast, the thing that is created, right? Cause we, do, we're not just sitting in a bar uh, I, mean, I couldn't even fucking get into a bar right now in, in New York, <laughs> but we're not just sitting in a bar uh, uh, and having a conversation, which itself would be probably equally as pleasurable, maybe more so because we're mm-hmm. in the same physical space and there'd be drinks right. involved. And so maybe the pleasure that I derive from that would be even better. Some of my favorite moments in New York are very long conversations with Seth and, you know, oh, I can imagine. Uh, late nights. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, and we had a great time at the Bowery um, right. when I was out a couple of years oh, ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was, that was fun. Yeah. 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 So the actual pleasure derived from the conversation, it's easy for me to imagine that I would derive more in other spaces. But but we are making a th- we're making something, right? We hit record. Mm-hmm. We have this checklist. There, yeah. There is a kind of artistic produ- – there's an artistic production, as in broadly construed an artifice, that mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. are making a thing that we send out into the world – that we can't control the reception of. So other people are going to hear our voices. Other people oh, are going absolutely. to play and pause and discard it, tune in, not tune in. Mm-hmm. And as it, as it pertains to that artifice, I think that one of the things that makes what we are doing not unique, there are too many podcasts to claim uniqueness Way about them. Yes. <laughs> so, but the thing that, that is distinctive about what we do is that, it is, I think, a kind of impermanent art form, right? These these are barely captured snippets of mm-hmm. authentic human interactions that we've had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I worry that if I re-listen to them too much, I'm not going to bring the same Travis to the conversation 
that I mm. would otherwise. That that I would think I'd be thinking too much about. Okay, that's right. When when we do these conversations. I have a tendency to do this. I want to shape this a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. I have a tendency to do that. Whereas I do reflect on our conversation. So obviously right. for several mm-hmm. weeks, things were getting a bit more tense because I was really you know upset about how the COVID stuff was going and mm-hmm. hadn't really worked through with how to talk about that mm-hmm. in a more constructive way. And you guys kind of gave me the space to do that. If I had re-listened to those podcasts, my process for going through that would have been very different because it would have been about the podcast product and not the uh, actual just conversation, uh, not the uh, thing that that's happening inside of, of, you know, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the, the artifice we're creating. So I know it's a little bit long, but no, but that's, that's great uh, though. I have thought that's about great. it. Thinking through that. Yeah. Because then the performative part might come out more. Yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. I'm, you know, no, no, that, that, but, but the, that's the concern, right? It maybe it wouldn't, I mean, mm-hmm. right. I don't know, but that is the concern about it. So I had a conversation years ago with, um, uh, Fareed Matuk, the guy who uh, introduced Travis and, uh, Travis and, uh, to each other. Um, mm-hmm. This was at like some barbecue in, in Southern California. Um, I think when I was still going to school at UC Irvine. Um, yeah, you were, still, you were still UC at the time. Okay, so it was somewhere between like, I think, 2000, 2001. Um, and Fareed... And I were hanging out later, some, some doing something together. And I was teasing him about something. He said something like, I forget what it was, but I was teasing him. Mm-hmm. And he, he turned to me and he said, I don't have to perform masculinity for you, bitch. And I remember <laughs> thinking, oh, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I remember thinking, that's exactly right. That you actually don't. And, and it's, and it's, it's, it's sort of, historical marker in a way that one man could say it to another. Like, I don't think a man would have said it to a, a, another. Uh, one man wouldn't have, well, three is bisexual, so let me be clear about that. Like, one bisexual mm-hmm. um, man wouldn't have said that to uh, 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 a straight man, like, 20 or 30 years ago. Like, just, just to say, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't I don't need to do that. Right. And and it it, it occurs to me that that's the truth too about the American age is that we don't actually need to perform anything um, uh, for anyone during this, these conversations. Like mm-hmm. we actually do kind of work stuff out uh, as we go. And mm-hmm. there's value to that. In fact, Glenn Adamson, one of the people who tip, who uh, he says regularly listens to the podcast and has interacted with us in meaningful ways. Yeah, he was like, our first, he was our first yeah. uh, letter mm-hmm. to the editor. Right. Which right. S- send more. <laughs> <laughs> Please <laughs> Me- message in a bottle. <laughs> um, uh, he said, well, I was talking to him about suggestions from Travis to change the format a bit. And I said, you know, sometimes I feel kind of dumb because I say these things and I have to backtrack and I say these things and I'm not really sure what, I, what I'm talking about or I say, oh, I go on for too long. And he says, you know, actually, one of the good things about the, the program, about the podcast is that I can feel you guys working things out 
in the moment. Mm. Nice. Like, it isn't. It isn't prepackaged. It isn't. We don't know what you're going to say, mm. and, and sometimes we are surprised. And um, one more thing, in thinking about the ways, I don't listen. I don't listen to episodes. We listen to episodes. Um, I I have taken uh, on the habit of listening to y'all on the notes though because i feel mm-hmm. like that's super helpful for me i've done the same yeah, yeah. That's, that's true i agree but, it's, a, it's a slightly different format but the thing I, I, the ones the conversations that that have stayed with me that um still kind of ping around in my head are the ones uh that the one conversation we had on fathers i thought that was mm-hmm. really that was nice yeah. deep um mm-hmm. i i just learned some i learned a lot about travis and his relationship with his father and steven mm-hmm. by your relationship to your father and your son yes and um i even learned a lot about my own relationship with my father because it mm-hmm. felt like uh i just brought some things to the surface that maybe i hadn't articulated to anyone else except maybe my therapist Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also recall this conversation we had on Michael Jackson. I thought that was really profound. Um, yeah. It went really far. And, and I remember remember thinking, um, I think it was Travis who got to the conclusion that, um, that, we, that we allow certain people in the public sphere and, and the sort of, the, the sort of, what do you call it? The sort of terror dome of celebrity. We allow some of those people to become our gods and mm-hmm. our oh, yeah. gods demand, demand certain sacrifices. And we mm-hmm. willingly yeah. give, offer up these sacrifices to these gods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was profound for me. Um, I really thought about that a lot. Uh, and then one more thing is just, Having uh, an, I had an art date yesterday with a f- uh, person who was to be, we're developing a friendship, an, a painter named Anna Conway, um, who I've written about previously. We decided to meet up and see art together. Mm-hmm. And we were chatting about this, that, and the other. And she said, one, thing, one of the things that she's learned, and it's a sort of, sort of Buddhist thing, but I, I, I don't know how earnestly she's, she studied that. Mm-hmm. But she said, one of the things that she's learned is that if you don't transform an experience, a, a, a difficult experience, you transmit it. If you don't transform your trauma, you transmit it. And I thought, oh, right. That I've mm-hmm. been transmitting a bunch of shit. <laughs> I really, I, I am a really, super spreader of my trauma. <laughs> I really didn't need to. Um, but this, 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 com- this conversation we have is actually about transforming some stuff. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there, uh, have you guys had any, um, any low points in the last, in the last 200 where you're like, ah, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I've had episodes where I didn't say very much because it was I was it was me. I wasn't in the mood <laughs> to talk. <laughs> so Which I happens, just, you know. So I I've been you know obviously I I always notice it and I think yes. I, I probably uh, always notice it. You're the one that points it's it out. Irritating. Maybe it's irritating if I notice because sometimes that could be irritating when you want to be fucking left alone. I get that. But the um, thing is, I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. recording a podcast. <laughs> I'm not like you're not. No, I'm not sitting on my sofa drinking, and it's you like guys walk in and go, "Hey, you know." No, <laughs> I signed up for this, and so 
I found it's like I, a Philip Glass piece where you're just like you just sit there. It's like, <laughs> I told Seth this a two while hours ago. And ten minutes. That when I'm trying to get through a hard day, a day I don't feel like doing anything, I just do something for an hour and then I follow that with another hour of something I don't want to mm. do. But mm-hmm. and then also I'm learning that even when I I've had lunch recently with some friends and I didn't feel like going out because there's one person there I can't stand. And so <laughs> very good reason. What I decided to do was I was going to be kind to him and talk to him. I wasn't going to, you know, I don't see whomever. <laughs> I didn't want to do that because I don't want to be treated that way. And yeah, yeah. I, so that project helped me, one, relax, reduce my anxieties about being outside. And it was just, it was a great conversation because I felt like I still don't really care for his personality and his take on things, but I'm like, mm. that's you. So mm. why am I, I don't want to hold that as I don't want to hold that. I don't want that to be the determination about how I respond to you. Right. Yeah, I yeah, want to see yeah. something different. And we laughed and we joked. And I was like, I could hang out with that guy again, like in a group setting. But I, but I didn't carry the, but I didn't <laughs> in care a, in a few months. Yeah. I didn't carry the bile that I had for him prior to it. You know, I was like, no, right, I, I like right. him. He's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it really yeah, wasn't I mean, that kind of, mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of practice and not being sort of static, like it, like looking at yourself as a static thing, like this is this Ooh, is how yes. I am right now or how I feel right now, um, and kind Pe- of working through. And that. people do that all the time. This is just who I am, and I go. I mean, isn't that like a bunch of like 70s, 80s movies, like Ernest movies? That's just how I am, you know. And there's no resolution at the end for the most part. It's just that they um, they kind of accept that they're just the way that they are. Like I think of, I can't think of a movie in a moment, but I remember like going. When you said that, I was like, there's some movies where there's just no transformation. There's just, yeah. and I used to value, I still value that as a narrative device because I think people don't change in some cases. They yeah. just, things happen to them. Ah, Dolores Claiborne. Yes. And I mentioned this on the show before where Jennifer Jason Lee's character is a lawyer. She comes back to the town where Kathy Bates is her mom and is acute. Her mom is accused mm. of killing her husband. And so you go through that. This is a Stephen King novel. But you find out that mm-hmm. her mother has been abused by her father. You you learn this, but she goes up to the sheriff and the sh- she tells the sheriff, as an honorable man, you know that this isn't right, that you need to stop persecuting my mm-hmm. mom. And the guy goes, These, you know, she did it. She's charged with it. Whatever he says, whatever. And then Jennifer Jason Lee goes, mm-hmm. I tried. I tried. You know, I tried to any any state where he was. And she goes, if you continue to do this, I'm going to have some lawyers come in here and tear this town apart. So you're, mm-hmm. I'll see you later. Come on, mom. And then they both leave. And there's something about that moment that just really, like, you disagree with somebody, but you're like, let's kind of come to some clarity about what we're discussing. We're discussing mm-hmm. this. You may not like my mother, but dot, dot, dot. This is the issue. And I love it when I've seen it in person where people forego, bitch, you know, they forego the personality <laughs> thing and actually focus on the thing mm-hmm. that they're supposed to be or the thing I think they should focus on. It's a terrible meal. Can I have another meal? Can I have my money back? I'll leave. <laughs> you don't have to be a bitch. You don't have to be the worst person in the universe. We can just go. Absolutely. But I think carrying that might make good for a good story. But at the same time, it's like, well, what else could you be thinking of at this point if you weren't so busy engaged in that? And I grew up in a household that was chaotic. And so I that's why I think I live alone with the cat. The, the, <laughs> I was about to say the cat of the week because, you know, I get new cats every week. Um, <laughs> you trade but yeah. It's a joke from before the yeah, podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
And so if you really want to hear it, then you write us a letter. Um, <laughs> that's what I do tease people into like sending us stuff. Not Patreon, but you can uh, send us letters. Um, but yeah, so I, I I value what we do on this podcast so much because I love thinking about things. Um, and then thinking about my position in relation to them, those things. Mm. You know, what do I really feel about this? And you guys, I think the episode they was one of my favorites where we talked about, oh, you know, gender. that was great. The two episodes actually, yeah. but but this, that yeah. was really helpful to think through. And Travis, you mentioned that you felt that gender expression and the idea of gender expression was finding more currency and transformate transformative possibilities than racism. And mm. we we both kind of went. But it was great to kind of think about it because what I came to in my mind is that I feel like so many things are co-opted. I'm not sure what progress looks like in the moment. And yeah. so declaring that this looks better might just be not in your case, but for me, short sighted, you know, mm. and I'm also a bit like, I don't know, y'all. <laughs> like mm. I said, the people who make the laws are still older <laughs> and still rigidly, at least publicly about what gender expression should be. You know, mm, are we, mm. even people who love you, can you like butch up, butch up a bit or can you like mm. maybe grow your hair out? This friend of mine, her mother goes, if you leave the house, mm. <laughs> please put on some lipstick. If you don't, you look like a lesbian. And she is yeah. dead serious. Damn. And that's I don't I don't think that things like that are not uncommon. Honestly, I don't. Damn. Yeah, I believe I think you're absolutely right about that. I mean, uh, you know, this sort of. um I was about to use the word vestigial uh, uh, interactions around gender, mm-hmm. but I don't even know if it's vestigial. Like, I think mm-hmm. these are reflexive, the, these mm-hmm. ideas of, uh, uh, you know, trying to uh, help someone sit up straight mm-hmm. and comb their hair, basically. You know, if, if, I, if I can use that in a really broad mm-hmm. sense of like, you know, make yourself presentable out in the world, make yourself respectful. Right. You know, that to, you know, on the gender thing, you know, really quickly, you mm-hmm. know, I would say, I would say we're kind of witnessing the limits of the culture's ability to capture this creative moment because mm. of the absurdity of, you know, I, I don't even know how many letters there are now in LGBTQ, right? I mean, they're LGBTQIA. Yeah, okay. there's so many. There, mm-hmm. there, Absolutely. There will be more. Hopefully. <laughs> you know, Hopefully no, there what, will be more. Yes. But but so this is actually but I mean it actually as an affirmative thing mm-hmm. that you like so these movements that I mean cuz right now sort of identitarian politics is is very hot in, mm-hmm. in the yeah. like, tribe. We want to create tribes. We want and so they can't catch this creative moment, right? This mm-hmm. creative moment of people sort of their their own exploration of what it means to be asexual and i would say what immediately follows from that a finite being i mean this is what people are trying to grapple with is but more that, than just tribes people are trying to figure out who they are oh yeah no that that's actually what i mean okay. i mean like mm-hmm. people i mean like individuals yes and okay. this is something that i think that that you know i i want to try and bring out more uh, I want to try and bring more to the to the fore in our conversations and in my own writing is that mm-hmm. you know I I am absolutely a booster for individual individualism and individuality like mm-hmm. I I am very much opposed to oversubscribing group identities mm-hmm. and so what you just said Stephen is exactly what I think about it which is that this is these are individual 
like attempts, authentic engagements with people's own finitude, like your sexuality, mm-hmm. it may, it, this may be news. This is about your mortality, right? Because right. Th- this, this is the most obvious marker of, of your life having a beginning and an ending because there mm-hmm. is a place where you begin and end vis-a-vis other people and their genders. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that, all of these individuals, you know, millions of them in the United States, billions around the world, mm-hmm. are coming to these like weird, creative, mm-hmm. amazing, strange, irritating, grating, mm-hmm. like, you know, sort of unique sexual identities. And the group impetus in our country like wants to catch them like okay let's add another letter we got to get those people to let's catch them let's add another letter we got to get those people to you can't groups cannot capture no the sort of the the, the genius of individual improvisation no you, you just you can't it's it will always it, it is always the remainder mm-hmm. I, I mean it's the you know it's the thing that will never be fully recouped and fully co-opted and fully owned by any group is just people are fucking weird and do yeah. like the craziest shit. And that is a wonderful thing to celebrate. And mm-hmm. and I think uh, um, uh, a wonderful and something that I value highly. So, so I want to ask a question about that. Uh, Cause uh, you said initially, Travis, you said um, we're creating tribes. And then Steven said, uh, actually people are trying to find out who they are. And you said, Travis, well, in addition to not all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then what immediately occurred to me is, so when people find out who they are, is that coextensive with almost the same thing as finding out where they belong? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my, of course, getting to choose like a group or a tribe or um, is part of like sort of the individuating experience, right? Not just being your, you know, your your mother and father's if they're both around son or daughter, right? Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they, if you if if there's something you know, gender dysmorphia or something going on. So mm-hmm. the the <clears throat> Absolutely, that is part of doing that. Um, but then the other part of doing that is choosing not to be like anything you can choose to do, you can choose not to do. Absolutely, right? absolutely. You cannot. You cannot. There are there are things as as physically embodied animals that we can not choose not to do without the consequence being death. Right. So there that we are hemmed in. Like our, mm-hmm, our mm-hmm. actual our actual embodied horizon is hemmed in. There's a beginning way back there that you can't see, and there's an end that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but between those two horizons, you get to do all this stuff, and you get to you know say all these things, and you get to wear all these clothes, and you mm-hmm. get to fuck all these people, and eat all these foods, mm-hmm. and learn all these languages, and and that is that's the joy of being alive if you are not being brutalized, right? I don't want to say this is true for everyone. Obviously, people in war-torn areas and people uh, 
Um, but even then, I wouldn't want to go, not to be too stream of consciousness mm. about it, but I wouldn't want to go too far with that because then then you get into the like the idea that, um, you know, poor people are always miserable or something like no, that. No, absolutely. Like, yeah, it's know, a frame. I mean, that's just not, that's it's just a dangerous not reality. But, mm-hmm. but to your point, to your, to your question, Seth, you can choose to be part of a group, but that also means you can choose to not be part of a group. Absolutely. Which means, which means that, that to hold on to groups with our, you know, with our, with our eye teeth, you know, with our canines, like to like, is, is to, is really to, to try and clip the wings of our individual expression. I think that's the sacrifice, right? To be a part Mm. of something, you have to dull yourself, dull some part Mm. of yourself or shut the door or close a window on that part of your life. I I like to think of that settling in, not a settling in, but identifying with the group you put soft brackets around yourself and around that group about the possibilities of that group, but you can't rely on that group. You need to rely on your individual expression. So mm. I wrote a piece a long, long time ago, very briefly, um, that I got kicked out of the man club early on, that I got boy club, <laughs> male club, that I got kicked out of the uh, black club, and then I got kicked out of the queer club. And it was because I was always critiquing these things. So I was like, well, no, that representation only matters to that sector of people. But over here, you have this. So, for example, gay marriage wasn't like a policy platform in the 70s. It was destroy mm-hmm. marriage. <laughs> you know, it had all these other sort of like thoughtful, engaged things mm-hmm. that that's right. that's got, right. that's right. you know, got um, pushed aside because people wanted to, to assimilate to some degree and understood the assimilation was a, a, a form of power and voice, mm-hmm. right? So... Like, I think it's always soft brackets and that you have to be really aware of your own biases and your own um, tendencies to want to be heard. And at what cost? At what cost? So I want to... No, go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. When people are defending Jesse Smollett, for example, and saying things (laughs) that you go just crazy, I go, am I missing something? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't think so. You know, and I'll be arrogant here. I looked at the evidence. No. <laughs> and so, so to me, to defend him or like, I, I just go, okay, so you do that. But like, it makes me wonder what other kind of politics you hold where, mm-hmm. where this kind of behavior is tolerated, you know, mm-hmm. this criminality. And it is a criminal thing it was a criminal so absolutely you know so but uh, but i want to say send us a letter sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm trying to get people to send us a letter (laughs) but i want to suggest that going back to the original wording of my question Mm -hmm. that we might then think of belonging more capaciously to essentially encompass what you both have brought up which is to say that when you've are in the process of figuring out who you are. Mm-hmm. You are mm-hmm. figuring out where you belong. Okay. Even if you choose not to belong to particular groups, which outsiders might think, oh, you naturally belong there, or you uh, belong to them at some point, but you mm-hmm. chose to, 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 to stop doing that shit because your politics, your internal... Mm-hmm. Um, what's the compass? More, more compass didn't stop allowing you to 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 um, identify with the group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think 
there's not going to be any point in human history, and there probably has not been an, a, a point in human history or prehistory in which group identity was not essentially a cornerstone of how we think about ourselves. I mean, we're just pro-social primates. So I don't, uh, I think, I don't mean to suggest, and you could certainly interpret what I was saying that way, I don't mean to suggest that there, it's possible to be some free roving individual detached from social space or and, and, and detached from the way that others define ourselves. It's, mm. of course, that's not, of course, that's not possible. I think I would want to sort of clarify and say something along the lines of, you know, it's, it's a distribution. Uh, you know, if you, if you have, if there's a hundred percent, you know, at the two extremes, you know, you could be, um, nothing but a drone, a Borg, you know, and mm-hmm. on the other end, you can be a, a totally free, you know, detached Sprite or something like that, that, you know, that is, is absolutely unconnected to mm. social human concerns or actually to use historic or like Diogenes, like a cynic, right? I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, you know, you, you absolutely with every fiber of your being reject everything about the social universe, you use money to wipe your ass, you know, et cetera. So you just, um, this was, you know, kind of the school of cynicism mm-hmm. with Diogenes being kind of the the mythical progenitor of that. Mm-hmm. Um, although an actual person. Um, so, uh, between those two extremes, which are, are not really possible for 99.999% of people. Um, I think right now in our cultural moment, we're very heavily weighted towards the Borg side. <laughs> you know, you, you need, you can be like 80% Borg and 20% individual. There are not a lot of people outside of, of second amendment, uh, advocates, um, that, uh, that are intelligently advocating for the value of the individual, or even honestly for the value of democracy. I think, I mean, mm. it, it's, so, please go ahead, jump in. I know I'm, I'm not supposed to finish what I'm saying when you make a face, but I actually want to hear what you have to say. So, <laughs> but I don't, I, I don't see that so much in our culture, especially in the last like year or two, given the co- what I'm going to call the COVID wars, right? So all the sort okay. of like political posturing that's happened um, with regard to uh, the pandemic and systematic, mm-hmm. uh, programmatic, uh, uh, lawful responses to it. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a large, uh, in fact, I, actually, no, I'm going to go further than that. I think a large part, a significant part of the sort of U.S. American ethos is precisely at least rhetorically, precisely about valuing the individual, about individual freedom, individual agency. But I think, and maybe actually I'm coming around to your position here, I think the rhetorical posturing is actually kind of false because what it ends up falling into is this very sort of white settler, um, heterosexual, patriarchal, um, guns and butter kind of value system. <laughs> guns which, and butter. So, see, I'm not sure where that comes from. It just occurred to me to say, but um, economics. Right, right, right. Mac- macroeconomics. Yeah. Right, right. Um, it just feels like, like at least rhetorically, there's this real allegiance to the notion of individual freedom. 
um, and a, and an and attendant um, disregard for other people. Um, but what it ends where, where that practically sort of ends up sort of working itself out in culture is an actual like protests and very and very much group group activities like like um voting in certain ways in you know we call them red states for a reason right mm -hmm. um uh um um enacting certain kinds of policies that basically uh basically say to everyone else we all believe this um, mm. You know when when those when those guys took over the the the, the freakazoids who took over the Malheur, was it? What, what, remember these armed the Bundies? You mean the yeah Bundies? the Bundies? And they took over that little um, yeah, yeah. Um, public park. Was it a? I don't think it was a. It was like a nature preserve or something like yeah, that. Right. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And you know, they went in with armed to the teeth, and <laughs> and then oh they found God. out that they needed peanut butter and cookies to survive, and and they, you know, made, <laughs> made public appeals for that. Like it just felt like, as much as they were talking about individual agency and freedom, essentially what they were mm -hmm. doing is they were saying. Us over here, uh, the white heterosexual men who believe in you know, and you can sort of tick off the the things that um that um as associ are associated with those identities mm -hmm. um they're they're basically saying no we're in this together and we need to sort of ally ourselves against all these other people who are going to take away our freedoms so mm -hmm. i don't know maybe you're right so um a couple things one um the i mean you you just characterized the individual sort of ethos as essentially pathological. Mm. I mean, and in that, you know, it's selfish and, you know, the, the history of the American ethos is heter white heterosexual male and that ethos and all that, like it, be, it, you, you freighted it with a lot of historical baggage that let's be clear is not unfair to do if you are looking at the history of this country, it is not an unfair thing for you to point out that white heterosexual masculinity is what has defined the individual, the John Wayne ethos for mm -hmm. the last 250 years. So same page with you there. I don't think that that's an unfair move. I think that it is entirely possible and consistent and in fact, a good thing to do to just lift that out of that history and say, you don't get to own this. You don't get, mm. it, it doesn't belong to you. <clears throat> the quest for freedom is something that has defined the migration of the species for 200,000 years. It's why we dispersed from Africa. It's why we ended up in Australia and New Guinea and in North America and South America and everything else. Because people went, fuck this guy, I'm going to go that way. And they left and they set up some new camp and then things didn't work out there. And they went, fuck this guy, I'm going to go that <laughs> way. So like that, that in itself is the sort of the, the kind of the mystery in the bottle that is what I think is the best thing about the founding of a nation of ideals mm -hmm. um, and that the founders had something right. They recognized something 
essential and indispensable to human creativity. Mm-hmm. And they were limited and flawed by their historical context and interpreted that in, you know, this kind of white heterosexual way. I think that it is it's I think I think the country has to figure out a way to lift that out without mm-hmm. moving to its opposite, which seems to me what's happening now, which is the movement to its opposite, which is that we've got to belong to the groups that the white heterosexual ideology has rejected or hemmed in or you know historically abused or marginalized and all of these kind of things. So I'm a member of that group because I'm not with those people, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> So anyway, that's okay. th- that that's what I would that's what I would offer is that there's um <clears throat> I mean the move that you know the sort of at the end where you were talking about like I mean yeah it does end up being like a group expression for a lot of these people. I mean, you know, the, the Trump movement is a populist movement. This is a <laughs> movement, you know, this is you know, those arenas were not a whole bunch of like individually expressive right. people. Right. I mean you know, th- there was, I mean, this, these are like, ra- I mean, that kind of like group Nuremberg rally vibe to them mm-hmm. is, Where they're wearing is definitely all, not. They're almost all wearing the same damn red hat. Like that's yeah, crazy. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I, I don't want to go that far with that. Right. Um, or, or, I mean, I agree. I understand your criticism of that. And that seems right to me. But I, but, but I want to get back to this thing. I want to ask Stephen, actually. Um, so when, Tra- when Travis says that he thinks we're sort of 80% Borg now and 20%, uh, 20% like willing to, to sail under our own, um, um, administration. Like what? Do- let me just, let me just say dominant cultural narrative in this moment. Not okay. you, okay. Seth, okay. not you, Stephen, but okay. dominant cultural narrative. Okay. Do you agree with that, Stephen? I was thinking about why I felt fear was the factor here. Hmm. When it comes to group belonging versus the individual, fear mm. came up a lot for me mm. while you guys were talking. And it came up for me because I was thinking about people that I know who I've spoken with who've, who have um, chosen to be more individual, who have in some cases um, had really complicated and complicated relationships with their family members, um, wanting to take care of relatives that didn't treat them right. You know, mm-hmm. growing up, um, mm-hmm. having to really make some hard decisions, and at the same time, they maintain like sparkling this, you know, just you know, enviable intelligence and gratitude and generosity. Um, mm-hmm. But I think about the people that I know who are more group belonging people who, who whatever Marvel movie comes out or whatever romantic thing, oh my God, it's Christmas. Isn't it the most wonderful time of the year? You know, unironically, you know, it's, (laughs) I go, I think that the choices that you make as someone who's trying to be individual or you maybe were just born that way or, you know, whatever, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, As you were born, nature or nurture or a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Trying to carve out a path for yourself in this culture is really, really difficult because of the pressure to be like everything else, even though that everything else might be killing everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, actually, mm-hmm. yeah, actually, you know what? I, you may be no, you may be right, Travis, because um, as a, as you're talking, Stephen, I'm thinking, yeah, what so what are the dominant narratives in my mm-hmm. neck of the woods, right? Like in the arts, mm-hmm. yeah, um, especially in the arts where. Um, LG, 
LGBTQ people are concerned, where um, women are concerned, where basically any any indigenous, any marginalized group, BIPOC, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like there are orthodoxies, and I've talked about this before, uh-huh. that mm-hmm. um, that I sometimes contravene. And I think, you know, if I think honestly, people could cancel me, they would. Like they would, mm-hmm. they would... <laughs> They would just not invite me to anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I, I, I do think there's a way in which I am being asked to conform. Like, not mm-hmm. ever, not ever write a bad word about um, an artist of color. Um, I know this is true from things you've shared about. I mean, I want to be careful mm-hmm. about. I mean, just about sort of ed- editorial processes that you have been a part of in which mm-hmm. you were being edited in a way to sort of shape oh, yeah. a particular narrative. I mean, I, you oh, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, I can, no, I can talk about that. Like when, when um, mm-hmm. we had this, this former reviews editor, Dasan, and she would edit me in a way that would basically, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want to be careful here. Yeah. And maybe I can use this word neuter me. Like basically mm-hmm. just take mm-hmm. away not, and, and, I mean, and by that I mean any expression of me, right? Like, like, like not, uh-huh. masculine, not necessarily along the fulcrum of masculine or feminine. Just like she was trying to em- essentially make my work sound like her, and I'm gotcha. like, no, mm-hmm. like I'm an, I'm a, I'm, I'm an adult. <laughs> I've been doing this mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. and I'm my mm-hmm. own person. Like, and there was a way. I mean, I'll, I'll give you the just. I'll give you the. It's helpful, I think, to give really concrete examples. Okay. In this post about Simone Lee's clap black via Instagram mm-hmm. on what some who she identified this way as white critics had said about the Whitney Biennial, basically dismissing the Whitney Biennial, 2017 Whitney Biennial, out of hand saying it's not radical enough. I think Deborah mm-hmm. Solomon wrote that. What she was that radical? The- but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, well, I took I took that apart in my piece. Uh, 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 Simone, who has a lot of followers, um, thousands and thousands of followers, mm-hmm. uh, wrote this Instagram screen. It's pretty long, talking about all the things that she refers to in her work. And anyway, I I, I just I I did a very sort of careful analysis of what she said and of what the the critics she was talking about, said, and wrote, and la la la. Dasan, when she got a hold of my first draft, I had written, because um, Deborah Solomon said something about, or, or it may have been another art critic, uh, I don't want to misquote her. Mm-hmm. One of the critics that Simone was referring to said something like, something, something Black Lives Matter has become, in this, in this context, has become kind of a slogan, or something like that. And mm-hmm. I said, I wrote, no, it's it it's it's not. It's never. And if you don't believe that, go visit the graves of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listed. Um, it was oh, now. I'm, now I'm blanking on the names, of course. But um, uh, people killed by law enforcement. And I want to say like Stephen Smith. I want to say oh the guy jo- Jordan Jordan was it Jordan Crawford um, who was killed by that. Um, Police officer in Minnesota when he, he was in a, in a, in, a, in a Walmart just playing with an air rifle, and they came around the corner and 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 gave him about a second and a half to respond and shot him dead, mm. and then of course um, Tamir Rice 
who was yes, playing in a playground with his, with his, and he had about 2.5 seconds to his, anyway. So I said, go visit the graves of these people. And I listed about five or six. Mm-hmm. Dasan changed the names to other names she thought were better. Like she put in Trayvon Martin, who, by the way, wasn't killed by a police officer, he was killed by a vigilante. So that mm-hmm. wasn't, that didn't go to my, but she changed those names. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Like, 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 I don't even, like, I don't even, I don't even begin to understand how mm. you make that choice. Like, you're working with a colleague and they have a point to make a, and they list these, these particular names. And you're like, no, I think Sandra Bland should be in there instead of like, who, you know, Tamir Rice. I'm like, it's just, it was so egregious to me. Um, anyway, the point is that, yeah, I've gone through this thing in the art scene where I've made particular choices about the ways I talk about sensitive subjects. And um, and I can tell that there, there are quite a few people who are really supportive of my work and really appreciate it. Um, and they tell me so. Mm-hmm. And there are quite a few people who just uh, act as if they do, but on the real... They are not at all fans of my positions. Um, and I know this, too, from talking with Lowry Sims. She told me that there's this curator we both know who's a real fan of Lowry. Um, and I should say for our listeners, Lowry Stokes Sims is, is um, kind of famous in our circles because she was the first, and up until only a few years ago, the only black woman hired as a curator at the Met um, also a former director of the Studio Museum in Harlem um, um, and a lot of other accolades. Anyway, she told me that um, there's this particular curator we know had in common. And and at some function a few years ago, um, they were having a conversation and Lowry said, oh, you know, who should write that? That should be Seth Rodney. Seth, you know, he'll, he's, he, he'd handle that well. And this other curator was like, she all like, the tea. She all the like, tea. Oh, oh, him. Every single tooth. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, uh, and this clearly wasn't personal because I don't know this person, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we've, I think we've had only one or two substantial conversations in the past few years. But um, there's a way in which when I write about a well-known um, African-American artist, Eric Mack, um, uh, and I say that something that he made that's now in the Whitney's collection, I described it as a, um, a, uh, uh, a galumping piece of artistic chicanery. And I mm. said that, and I said that, uh, that, um, that this particular work, um, this is, I forget the name of it, but something about G's, Ben's, Quill's, Wet. I just, I described it as, as dispiriting, as a mm. meal of cold gruel. Like, I know that that is the truth. It is. It is, it is actually that dispiriting to me. To me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I will get no one, no one to publicly say, you know, actually, you're kind of right about that. Like, I felt that when I saw it. Like, no one. So, there, I, mm-hmm. I feel it. I feel that pressure to like, to, like, not tell that kind of truth out loud, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I think, I mean, Stephen, do you feel that? I mean, you have to say, the, <laughs> <clears throat> well, 
<laughs> I know it's a little different because you Barry. you sort of stepped out of like you know how you get your lunch at this point. Like you need, you don't mm-hmm, need to worry mm-hmm. about like that your opinions conform to, you know, to your paycheck. Um, and so, and that's. I have a much smaller audience f- than. Um, no, no, I, understand. Yeah. I, I know that. Yeah. I know. But well, so, but that doesn't stop people from conforming. <laughs> no, right? it doesn't I mean, stop people not from conforming, a, but also people have to like know what archives are to be able to be mad at me, I guess. <laughs> 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 and also I think that I'm, I'm in a current right now where the kind of work that I'm doing, people are interested in. And mm-hmm. so I get some space to to build the kind of thing that I'm interested in doing, which is always developing. So it's never just like, this is how archives are and you need to do this this way. I try to be open and very generous. But, I'm, but the mm-hmm. criticisms I used to get were more, there were a couple of times at the Schomburg where people were like, I don't think Stephen can handle this because he's gay. I mean, that wasn't what? the phrasing. <laughs> The phrasing, <laughs> the phrasing for the two different people who did it, it was only, as far as I know, these are only two times that people said anything to my um, supervisors, whatever. But overall, I think, like, that's a contested space that Seth works in. Mm. What is art? Mm-hmm. I, the pub, I've published people before. I've published articles before. And generally, Can I just if, ask what, and if anyone reaches out, I don't, I've never gotten any major pushback in, was it 25 years of freelance writing? Like, I don't get a lot of pushback. Um, and I think, Can I ask what you were incapable of for being gay? (laughs) Can I ask what what you were incapable of doing? Oh, there are two reasons. One, they were both, (laughs) one was handling the hip hop archive collection and the other one was handling this other guy's collection that they were worried that these Vietnam vets who were, um, friends with this guy who passed away and now his collections at the library that so i think what they were trying to do on both ends they were just trying to get me out of the way because both of these people had agendas and i wasn't standing for that i was like no and it wasn't that i was a company man and that we do these things this way it was like they were just unreasonable requests on both sides and i was like it's pretty unreasonable guys and it was fun i was like "Ooh, i've got enemies you know i could sit there and twirl my fingers and try to figure (laughs) out how to kill them (laughs) You know, it's like, I don't live on Dynasty or General Hospital. I don't have any of that stuff. And it is not an enviable position to be in, Seth, to, because I feel like you take a lot of time to think about what you're writing and how you're writing it. And I just feel like you, 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 you care and, and you have an ethics and you're willing to take this, the slings, you know what I mean? The, the, was it slings and arrows or whatever? It was of outrageous fortune. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so I'm not in that space. And even in the black LGBT community in terms of literature or politics, whatever, no one's no one's ever coming for me in general. Mm. Even if I critique their um their the sacred people, no one's coming mm. for me. Mm. Yeah. And and it's not because I'm right or wrong. I just don't think people are paying attention, one. Even when I set like little little things in my mm-hmm. pieces, mm-hmm. people aren't coming for me. It's usually I'm like I believe this. What do you believe? And like Seth, I've had people tell me things they would not say publicly because they fear the retribution or whatever. And I go, okay. I mean, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Right, right, exactly. There's there's nothing else. You you hired me to do this. I did this. What do you you want me to do? You know, so I, I guess I'm really empowered by people who... Like you're not Stanley Crouch, for example, Seth. Exactly. <laughs> right. At all. Exactly. You know, you know like, where I'm in not that, I'm not mean or curmudgeonly. I'm just Or just like taking the 
like you can take a different side of something and not call somebody mm-hmm. a bitch. You know what I mean? So right, like, right, I think yeah, that right. he, so right. there's certain choices that I listen to. And I love a writer who can illuminate some things I'm not thinking about. I, I appreciate mm-hmm. that. A little snarky humor every now and again, but nothing that like, I'm, I'm talking about this person. She's crazy. You know, no, it's like, <laughs> you're supposed to be focusing on the art. And also yeah, some sure. darlings, some art darlings. It's funny to see. It would be great to see the last 30 years of the art darlings for that moment to see how their work is being perceived now. How they mm. age, yeah. You know, how it age, but all, and and again, they're always critics. They're always going to be critics, and we need good critics. Mm. Despite the fact that you know YouTube pages have people commenting on things or on Amazon, <laughs> we need actual critics, people who study and pay close right. attention to things. Right. So that's what I, I remember. I can mention her name, Michelle Wallace. We were talking maybe about a decade ago, and she was like, nobody wants to hire critics anymore because everybody is a critic. And she was speaking about the internet Mm. specifically, and I was Mm. like, but nobody's Michelle Wallace. I want to hear what you have to say about this. Precisely. Do you know? Yeah. And so, anyhow, yeah. Hey, Michelle, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) But I think that's what we end up doing, don't we? I mean, we end up being critics of culture and being critics of ourselves at the same time, right? Like Like, we're always saying to ourselves, like, Okay, so here we are, these embodied creatures with mm-hmm. all these, with the, with, with the history that we come to this, this moment with. And the history can't just be ignored. Like, we actually have to deal with it forthrightly. Yes. And, yeah. and we need to deal with it like out loud, like taking the risk to sound kind of dumb. Um, Goofy, uh, whatever. Sound, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, or just get it wrong. And then to you know, and then later on, get it, get it a little bit more right. A little more right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you, there's just, there's too much that any one person doesn't know to to ever get anything absolutely right. I mean, you have moments of insight. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the thing that, on the Borg topic, and, you know, I'm fine in in a 21st century american context i'm fine with playing six degrees of separation with white supremacy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's like one degree of separation for every topic like if you you Mm -hmm. can literally if if there's any issue that that gets the the liberal progressive tribe into you know upsets them it's one degree of separation of white supremacy. I think it's fine if you want to play six. If mm. you want to like trace it back to like Calhoun or Jefferson at like move five or six or whatever, I'm fine with that because you know the germinal myth of the country is clearly you know whiteness is is absolutely essential to that. So no problem. But it's one degree of separation for every fucking thing. Like everything <laughs> is white supremacy. Everything that happens, every everyone that every minority that doesn't get into i shouldn't say minority every marginalized community that does not get into an ivy league it's because of white supremacy anyone that's arrested because you know for the third it's white supremacy like this is absolutely every story in every frame on every website that is part of legacy media right now it's all the stories well and it's i hear what you're saying but it here's the thing about that though that the I listen to someone like you or listen to someone like Seth and I go, I know what's going on with that. And for every single example you can make that it's not white supremacy, there is something to be said about the the road back to. No, white supremacy isn't the only thing. Not at all. It isn't. But 
it's like it's it's the avenues in which certain things travel that I can say, oh yeah, that that's got a white misanthropic sensibility about it, absolutely. But your impatience with it when you know that I th- I th- we only said white supremacy like re- today, like it is not even <laughs> something that people have studied for that long. Do you know what I mean? So like the impatience, like I love it when people say, you know. Um, Oh God, I had the best example a moment ago, but now I'm, I'm blanking because I'm hungry. Um, but in short, <laughs> the patience level of someone like, say, a Jesse Smollett lying about, you know, what he did. And he's a liar. Come on, send me the letters. Um, he, he can't. He cannot stand in place of, you see, Jesse Smollett lied. All these other people are lying about um being tortured or being oh, yeah. do you know what I mean like so but that's not what I I do but that's not what I meant though okay I okay. meant that I, I meant that the analysis of every cultural ill is immediately explained because of white supremacy oh no so I don't see that I, I disagree with that I, oh, I, this I is my point my point I, of view I don't see that I, I just I disagree too, Travis. Like I don't see that. I, what I see actually in a lot can of can you legacy- give an example? Can can you give an example of a major news story? Uh-huh. That the explanation for what's gone wrong isn't white supremacy. COVID nineteen, yes. the way yes. they handled it. Yes, and, uh, and oh, by, oh, oh, the way, no, 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 the wait, 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 no, wait, wait, I got that one. No, no, wait, back up. Let me, let me. I got you. Got to give me it. I got to, okay. I got to load my rifle. Okay. Let me, let, okay, so, so, wow, <laughs> scary, so, scary. So, how about just so, uh, make a pie or something uh, rather than shoot? Me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let, let's slow your roll. So, slow your okay, roll. So, okay, okay, okay. Hands so, up. COVID nineteen. <laughs> Don't shoot. <laughs> On this very podcast, Seth associated selfish COVID nineteen deniers with male heterosexual white supremacists on this podcast about a half hour ago, like absolutely (laughs) the vaccine hesitant and the people who are, are, are unwilling to protect themselves to, to protect to others is absolutely connected with selfish white supremacist worldviews. Hold on, but hold on. I didn't say anything about vaccine hesitancy. Mind you, I, no, no, I said you, I said the COVID wars. I said the COVID wars, and there's certain people within the, the this war, right, who've identified themselves as that. Like I, I didn't say anything about white supremacy. You definitely. I mean, I wish we could roll back the tape. But I didn't say white supremacy. <laughs> so mm. the implication is oh, okay. that we are talking about okay. of the. I mean, so you don't have to say. I mean. You you don't literally the game our quarters game is not you have to say white supremacy it's that you have to be referring to it right you have to be kind of pointing at it and that's what that's what happened so COVID nineteen absolutely as an is an example in contemporary discourse of blaming things on selfish i.e. white supremacist ideological worldviews. These people are too individualistic they don't under like they they just won't do what's in the collective good. It's, you know, white people just want to have it. They're absolutely, definitely connected to COVID. I, yeah, but I don't, I, I don't see that in the legacy media. First of all, I see, I see, if anything, oblique references to conservatism, not white supremacy. And they are very, two very different things. And I want mm-hmm. to say, and I think this is actually, we're going to need to pick this up in another podcast, which would be oh, yeah, probably yeah. a good conversation. But I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the legacy media reports about um, things that are supposedly going to hurt Biden or hurting the Democrats, um, inflation, um, prices of oil, 
um, the fact that uh, the so inflation, it's definitely been complained about that it's all these people that are upset about having to fill up their their big oil guzzling trucks, <laughs> gas guzzling trucks. Yeah, but I, have, de- I, but I haven't I haven't seen those stories. I, we're talking about legacy media, right? So we're talking about like the big the big guns, so, like CNN, ju- just, New York Times, USA Today. The, so the, these are the, uh, let, these are the ones I've been I, seeing. Yeah, so when I typed in white supremacy COVID, uh-huh. I got the double pandemic, COVID-19 and white supremacy. How racism is leading to disproportionate harm during COVID-19. Um, big farmer white supremacy and the fight against COVID-19. Uh, uh, okay. With COVID spread racism, not... Uh, uh, oh, yeah, this one's the best. So this is from Harvard uh, News at Harvard.edu. With COVID spread mm-hmm. racism, not race, is the risk factor. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what I want to, I want you to just plug in Biden inflation now. Okay. <laughs> this is like a little Google game here. All right. You may have me, you may have me on the Biden inflation one. That, that's, uh, I, I may, you may, that may be a, uh, a Trump card. No, no pun intended. That's um, like gross. But yeah. <laughs> nothing on the first page at least. Um, so yeah, you may have me on that one. So I, my, my, okay. So I, I mean, okay. I mean, I think the the fact that you can come up with, I mean, inflation is, uh, but I'm not, I'm not consi- I'm, I'm saying it looks like you are probably right. I would actually want to poke around a little bit, uh, in fair, and I mean, I would be fair about it. So, uh, so, but, so, so uh, for the next podcast, look, let, why don't we do this? Like, cause I can come up with, I think five topics. Easily off the top of my head for the next podcast, which um, are in like big stories in legacy media right now that have nothing to do with white supremacy. Um. Okay. Yeah. So, but I. Uh, okay. I like this game. So the. the but mm. in fairness, it has. There has to be a plausible connection. I have to make the case for a plausible connection within one or two moves, not five or six, because I'm I'm fine with that. Sir Stephen's earlier point that you know you could you know white misanthropy might white misanthropy misanthropy, which I actually prefer as a term, and I think actually has a lot more explanatory power as a term. Mm. I I, uh, I try to use it um, mm. and forget sometimes. Mm. I am I am definitely open to that argument. Uh, as far as legacy structures and comportments in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I think you can make several moves in a lot of things. Um, you know, one for me, which is a, a, something that I care about a great deal is, uh, would be uh, national healthcare, right? So universal mm-hmm. healthcare. So mm-hmm. for me, I think that that is a legacy of a, of a white misanthropic worldview and kind mm-hmm. of the, the mm-hmm. closing of inner city pools that, mm-hmm. that happened, mm-hmm. you know, during, during the Nixon administration. So I think you can, I think sometimes it's productive and you actually come out with like, a, like you, you get a pretty um, yeah. useful interpretation of the current moment. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is now it's like the more cowbell moment in in the famous Will Ferrell skit, you know, like the more cowbell, like they just like more white supremacy, more white supremacy. So, so th- I like this game. So you'll come up with five things. I, I think I think we'll leave you. You get to use inflation still, so we'll leave that on the table because uh-huh. that. So you only got to come up with four, four more. Okay, I'm three more. Okay. And uh, it's got to be in the like. It's got to be like within the last year or two, though. You can't go no, too no, far. No, back no, no, even no, no. Okay. I'll say, uh, okay. I'll say within the last last half year, within the last six months. 
Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Shortening up. Okay. So no, right, the good. gauntlet is I'm thrown. Okay. All right. So, yeah. so we will play this. the white, we will play six degrees of white supremacy. Or I guess we'll say two degrees of white supremacy next time. So, <laughs> wow. Stephen, are you down? Are you down for this? I'm just thinking of Joe Jackson's song, Everything Gives You Cancer. And I've been su- <laughs> putting everything gives you white supremacy. <laughs> everything gives you white misanthropy. So I was thinking about that. Um, I'm interested. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm, I'm in. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So this will this will be fun. So, all right. Um, so, so this is okay. what we love about our podcast. Anyway, <laughs> send us letters. <laughs> yeah. yeah, send letters. <laughs> uh, so congratulations to us Indeed. for two hundred. Two hundred. I'm I'm glad we're we're doing it, and I'll look forward to three hundred. So absolutely right. onward. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye.